Hello, and welcome to Simply Edifies Podcast. We are mothers, daughters, sisters, friends, and wives, but what unites us most is our place in God's family as daughters of Christ. Our goal is to encourage women as we navigate the messiness of life through biblical studies, personal stories, and practical tips that bolster our walk with Jesus daily. Thank you for joining us in our episode today. Today we are going to be continuing our series called Restored. We are going to be looking at the first woman in our series, Tamar. Now Tamar, she is not a very well-known woman in the scripture, but her story isn't one that we often use for, you know, the children's Bible stories or anything like that. It's a little bit complicated, but we do hear about Judah and Judah is kind of more the central focus of this story, but she plays an important role in it. So I'm going to look at Judah for a little bit, and then we'll go into Tamar. At this point in time that our story takes place, it's kind of interesting. In our first episode, we talked about how it's important to take all of these stories in context and that we need to be aware of what's going before the story happens and after the story happens and um, an even bigger look at God's eternal plans through these different accounts. I say stories. These are actual accounts. These are people's lives. These are true and we can believe and trust that these things happen because they're in the Word of God and the Word of God is trustworthy. So let's look at just a little bit of Judah first. We find this account um, in Genesis chapter 38 of Tamar and all of the things that happened there. However, this account is like right in the middle of Joseph's story. So we know a little bit about Joseph, I'm sure. We've probably heard about how he had a coat of many colors given to him by his father and that he was sort of the favorite son and his brothers were jealous and they threw him into a pit. They were going to kill him and then they sold him to be a slave down in Egypt. Well, that is in Genesis chapter 37. So right before our account with Tamar is that story about Joseph being thrown into the pit by his brothers. And who do you think is one of the main ringleaders, the one who suggests to sell him I mean, which is better than killing him for sure. But still, the one who suggests to sell him is Judah. So Judah says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 26, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brethren were content. So he's the one who suggests Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to the Ishmaelites. He's obviously one of the eldest here in the group, so he they're going to follow his advice. He is not the oldest. Reuben was the oldest, but he's definitely, we see his influence here. And not for good, right? He's not saying, let's not kill him. Let's not do this. Let's just, you know, take him out and let's not do anything at all. <laughs> No, he, he definitely is reacting upon his anger and bitterness and, and he's leading other people to make bad choices in this situation as well. So 
after all of this is done, they go back to their father. They tell him about how they make up a story about how Joseph was eaten in the wilderness and they found his coat with blood and all of this stuff. After that, we have chapter 38 and it says, and it came to pass at that time. So after all of that happened, Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. So he goes to it, he leaves his family and he goes and he makes a friendship with this Adulamite. And as he is living with and just carrying on with his life away from his family, he meets a Canaanite woman and they get married and she has three sons. Now, this is interesting to me because as I read this, I'm thinking, why is Judah leaving his family? Um, in my mind, I'm thinking his father is so heavy with grief over what they've done that he's he can't live there. He can't live with the everyday uh, facing of his bad decisions. And he has decided to, to leave his family because he doesn't want to deal with that anymore. What he's done with Joseph, how he's hurt his father, the bad choices that he's made. Now he's left his family and he's going to like start over, right? Well, his bad choices kind of just follow him because as we see his life go on, he has three sons and these sons are wicked. So this in chapter 38 is where we meet Tamar. And this is kind of interesting, kind of just like a little side note that I, I saw. He picks out his own wife, a Canaanite woman. But then when it comes to his son, he picks out a wife. And I'm not sure, obviously, why. We don't really know. We're just kind of putting some conjecture in here. But probably he's wanting his son to settle down, you know, and because we know he's, he's a wicked man. So he's probably saying, well, if I take a wife for him, he'll settle down and he won't be. He won't be wicked anymore, but that's just not how it goes sometimes, huh? So in verse 6 of 38, it says, And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. So Tamar comes on the scene, and it's not a pretty picture that she walks into. She is not walking into a good household at all. And yet here she is, pretty much immediately, her husband dies. Verse 7, it says, And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Wow, God just killed this son because he was that wicked. And we might think, oh my goodness, that's really extreme. But you know, God sees the before, the after, the middle. He sees all, and he knows all. And he, I don't know what it was that this man was doing that was so wicked, but I know that God is a holy God. And we're talking also about the eventual line of Christ, and God has always had a way of preserving and picking out the bad and preserving his line. We can see God doing this. He's purging out the bad. And, you know, the the idea of God's holiness sometimes is very extreme to us. And we kind of question, well, was that necessary? But we can also trust the omniscience of God and knowing exactly what was going to happen with that man if he did live and what wickedness he did have. If we did not have the holiness of God, we could not trust the other attributes of God. We could not trust his love. We could not trust his compassion. We could not trust his justice without his holiness. Because of his holiness, because God cannot lie, because 
God is not like us. We can trust him and we can trust his judgment. So when we read stories like this, where to us it seems a bit extreme, like why did God just kill him? We have to trust in the holiness of God, in the righteousness of God, and the judgment of God. And just as we would trust and believe in his love and his mercy and his grace and compassion, we also have to believe and trust in his holiness. So God wipes out the firstborn son because of his wickedness. And then the second son is given to Tamar as per the tradition and custom of that time to raise up a inheritance, not for himself, but for his brother. Well, he does not want to do that. He wants his inheritance to be his. He wants everything that his father has to be his and not for his brother's name, essentially for Tamar's son to take over. So he does not give her a child and God kills him for that. So here's Tamar. She comes into this wicked family. Immediately she has her husband die because of his wickedness. And then after that, the next son dies. I would think that at this point, she's kind of confused. Judah's probably kind of confused. Uh, Judah's wife is probably fuming and angry. This is all Tamar's fault in their eyes, right? This is, as we read the story, you know, Judah sends Tamar away. He says, because he has to, for custom, he says, you know, when my third son is grown, I will give him to you. But really he's saying, I just want her to go away because I don't want her to kill my third son too. So anyways, now Tamar's left and she is sent back to her father's house. And, you know, in today's days, we'd be like, okay, she's going back to her family. No big deal. But back, back in those times, it was basically such a shame and disgrace to not have had a son, to not have a husband, to be a widow with nothing. You were a burden. And she would have gone back to her family's house more as a servant than as a daughter. So this was not a favorable situation for her at all. She is really in a rock and a hard place. And you know what? There's times in our life where we kind of feel that way too. Things happen that are none of our fault per se. Like none of this was Tamar's fault. People blamed her, but it was not her fault. It was Judah's fault for raising wicked sons and then the son's fault. <laughs> so you see kind of the predicament that Tamar is in and there's no hope in her eyes. She's trusting Judah's word that she'll have a chance again with his third son. But really in Judah's mind, that's not going to happen. So what do we do when we're in this situation? How are we supposed to react when thing, people have done things to us and we're blamed and it's just, you know, a bad situation. Well, for a believer, we can look to God and we can ask him to guide us and give us wisdom through these dark times. And we can open up the word and allow the words of God to give us comfort. But really, we have to have patience and we have to wait on the Lord. Tamar had a time where she had to wait and she did wait. And she was okay with waiting until she found out that Judah was lying and his third son was old enough and there was <laughs> no marriage. So Tamar's like, well, he's lying. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands, right? And this is often what we do too. We wait for a certain amount of time, then we get impatient. And then we're like, we're going to do what we think is best in this situation. 
can, we can muddle things up. Well, she kind of did that. She muddled things up, right? She goes, she finds out that Judah's wife dies and she knows exactly where he's going to be. So she dresses like a harlot and goes and plays the harlot and she conceives by Judah. So when she played the harlot with Judah, she took his ring and his staff. And when she conceives, they tell Judah, look, Tamar's played the harlot. What are you going to do with her? And Judah's thinking, oh, this is my way out. I don't have to worry about Tamar anymore. Let's burn her because that is what would happen to a woman who was a widow who would step out of her promise. So he says in verse 24 he says and let her be burnt bring her forth and let her be burnt so judah has an interesting sense of justice he practices it when it's convenient for himself he he's not living a righteous life he's not living a life that is you know practicing a sense of justice really no, he's just doing something that's convenient for him. He's getting rid of the problem. So sometimes we have to deal with people like that in our lives. And sometimes it's not fair. And sometimes we know it's not fair. And it's frustrating. We have to believe that God knows our situation. And he knows the person that is treating us unfairly and unjustly. So Tamar sends to Judah his ring and his staff and is like by the man who owns these is, is, that's who I'm pregnant and he recognizes the wrong that he's done and from this point on it's kind of interesting Judah kind of shows a shift in his life he it says in verse 26 and Judah acknowledged them and said she hath been more righteous than I because that I gave her not Sheila that was the last of his sons my son and he knew her again no more so he acknowledges his wrongdoing. He acknowledges his failure here and says, no, she, she's been adult better in this situation. <laughs> we can look at me like playing the harlot is dealing better. Well, again, when we take matters into our own hands, sometimes we make wrong choices. But even in that, God he sees our heart, right? And he sees Tamar's heart and he knows what she's going through. And not that he is condoning her actions, but he is allowing this to play out. And ultimately it ends up for good because we know that through this situation comes eventually the line of Christ through this bad situation all around. Judah's made bad choices. Tamar's made bad choices. But what we see here is we see a change in Judah. We see that in the following chapters, he goes back to his family. Tamar goes with him. She raises her son, not as Canaanites, because she was a Canaanite, not as a Canaanite, but she raises her family as the children of Israel. They kind of restore the relationship that was, you know, broken there with Jacob and Judah and all that. They go back and we see in Genesis chapter 44, Judah, this is when this, the brothers go down into Egypt for food, right? And they're talking to Joseph, but they don't know that they're talking to Joseph. And Judah is kind of the spokesperson for the brethren. Again, this time he's being a leader in a positive light. And he says to Joseph, he in verse in chapter 44, verse 16, Judas said, What shall we say unto my Lord, and what shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? 
God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also whom the cup has found. So he's talking, he's saying, God knows what we've done. And we see this change of heart in him. And he goes on to explain the whole story to Joseph, not knowing that it's Joseph. And you see repentance there where he did not have repentance prior. And so there's a change in his heart that we can see that's evident. And he knows that they have done wrong and that God is punishing them for that wrong at this point in time, right? So through this story, we see that if we confess and forsake, we can find mercy. God will always forgive. He is a forgiving God. Does that mean that we won't have to deal with the consequences? Absolutely not. There are consequences that we will have to deal with. However, God is merciful and gracious and he is ready to forgive. And with Judah, we see that, we see that story portray a change in his heart and his life. So, and, and it's interesting that through the line of Christ, we have several people who are an example of the forgiveness of God. And primarily the biggest one I, I would say would be David. He messed up big time. And yet we have beautiful passages in the Psalms of his confession for that sin and his seeking of forgiveness and God granting that to him. And he still had the consequences to bear for sure. The consequences will be there, but God forgave him and they found mercy. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So when we're going through a situation where we have sinned against the Lord, we can know that the best thing to do is not to hide it like Judah did with his brothers. It's not to try to cover it up, but it's to confess it and forsake it and to find mercy and also dealing with others when, when their sin affects our life, when they have confessed, we can also show that mercy and forgiveness. Really, Judah's life is such a picture of what we do when we do something wrong. <laughs> we turn and we run, and then those sins that we have just compound and make a bigger problem. Um, we try to hide, and that it's such a, a natural response right? In our sinful nature, that's what Adam did as he tried to hide. But that only makes things worse. And as a child of God, we have to trust in the love and forgiveness of God that he will make all things new. So with Tamar, you know, she, again, she was kind of in a rock and a hard place. Her story is not like a great, wonderful love story at all. But I believe that in her heart, she wanted to do what was right. And God's grace and mercy pours out on sinful man over and over again throughout history. And I think this story is just another picture of God's restoring goodness shown through man's inadequacies. God chose Judah. He was not the firstborn. He was not Jacob's firstborn. I believe he was the fourth. But God chose him to bring eventually the Messiah into the world. If it was me, I would say, you know, you should pick Joseph because Joseph seems to be the most uh, godly of the brothers. But no, God chose Judah and he chose him for a reason. And I, in my mind, I see how he chose um, because based off of his repentance and turning his heart, turning back to God, you know, God did, he purged 
Judah's line even hit through his, from his wicked sons. He purged that. And we can see God's big picture when we take a look at from the beginning to the end. We can see God's big picture and his plan for keeping the line clean so that the Messiah can come and his holiness and his compassion and his forgiveness and mercy. Hope this was an encouragement to you today. Maybe learn a little bit more about Tamar, somebody that we're not quite familiar with. I enjoy her story, but I enjoy it for those aspects where we can kind of look a little bit deeper into the the lives of Judah and Tamar and Joseph and his brothers and just kind of these were real people who dealt with real things and things that we deal with today jealousy envy anger impatience like trust that was broken all of these things they dealt with that and we can learn from them join us next time as we look at Rahab her story is just incredible and I love it. Can't wait to talk to you about that next time. We are honored that you chose Simply Edify to be a part of your day. If this episode was a blessing to you, would you consider subscribing to our podcast as well as writing a review or giving us a rating? This would be such a help to our ministry. We would love for other people to find us and this is one of the ways that they can. Thank you.